0: What's up, Mets fans? Happy opening day, Eve, from the Seven Lines headquarters. This is Orange and Blue Thing. I'm Darren Mean and that's Pete McCarthy.
1: We're almost there, baby.
0: Almost. We got Lizzie behind the scenes, fielding the phone call. What 631-388-5195 is the number to call. Talking all things Mets, we got the segment later with Ron Darling. Ron is the man. I went up to Connecticut yesterday to chat with him about his book and just about all things Mets, the current state of the team, all of his great stories that he has in the book. We'll get to that later on. But, Pete... Are you pumped up? Yeah.
1: And how could this week have gone any better? No. Right? Everything that we talked about and asked for going into the season, how the Mets could set a good tone going into the year, it all happened this week. Jacob DeGrom gets his extension as the press conference today. You don't have to worry about that hanging over the organization going into the season. Pete Alonso. they make the call, a brave one, to put him on the opening day roster, not to manipulate his service time. We get into the pros and the cons. I think it's a huge pro, especially when they're trying to win now, and they have a tough division to try to sort their way through. So the Mets making win-now moves, getting everything in order ahead of opening day, and now it's just about the baseball. It's not about all the other crap. That always seems to be circulating around this team, right?
0: It's pretty rare that Mets fans are happy on back-to-back days, and thankfully the Mets put some smiles on a lot of faces. Some people are against it. Um, Martino is, is against uh, the whole move. He said he's sticking by, sticking, to his gums, his gums, sticking to his gums about the Alonzo move. Uh, did you think they were going to get this done? Were you surprised?
1: I think... In recent weeks, it sounded like they were really open to this, and they started talking about Alonso like he was going to be on the roster. So at that point, I thought they were going to do it. But in the offseason, when they talked about it, we just haven't seen a team do this with a prospect in a long time. And now you have multiple teams doing this, the San Diego Padres as well. And the Padres are doing it with a young shortstop prospect in Fernando Tatis Jr., and that's the one where it's, well, you, the Padres really a win-now team, and this is a guy who's going to be young when he hits free agency in his prime. That that could cost them a lot. I don't love it for the Padres, but for the Mets, it makes total sense. Yes, you could look at it as you're giving up one year of control for 12 days, but this year, every game matters for the Mets, and we're talking about a 24-year-old first baseman. When he becomes a free agent, he's going to be 30, Yeah, as we've seen in recent years When you are over 30, especially as a position player, you're not making that big money. First basemen aren't making the big money that we saw in the past as the game leans younger and more athletic. So when you factor in all of these variables for the Mets... That's why it's the right decision. I don't think there's as much risk as there otherwise would be to do this with Pete Alonso. He's the right player and the right time to do this with and have him ready on opening day.
0: Well, back in December, I don't know if this was from the winter meetings or not, but uh, Gelbs had asked Brody if... if. Um Pete does do everything right down in spring training. Do you think you could bring him up and have him join the roster for opening day? And he said yes, and he, he was—he wasn't blowing smoke. He actually did what he said he was going to do, and and um, I'm very excited for Pete Alonso, and I think a lot of Mets fans are as well.
1: And I think for Brody, you know, this is something where he's putting his—he's walking his the walk. Yeah, money where his mouth is, right? He's done that. Now it's going to be, well, can you win as many games as he has talked about and put this team into the playoffs and that's something else and and he'll have less control over that situation. But he walked in. He wanted to make this team a winner. He made win-now moves. Yep. Now we'll see what happens yep, come opening yep, yep. day. But he took care of Jacob DeGrom – He's given Alonzo a chance in the opening day roster. Uh, he has not been the same old, same old. That is for sure. And up to this point, I think he's backed up what he has talked about.
0: The dynamic has definitely shifted in a positive in my eyes. So uh, let's also give a shout-out to our friends at McKellar. As we always do here on Orange and or Blue Thing, we are sipping a couple cocktails. Well, I actually am not. I'm faking the funk tonight. My throat's <laughs> kind of shot. But Pete is uh, sipping on the – I'll step it up for the What group. is it, the Henry Hops.
1: Henry Hops. Henry
0: Hops. I barely. I'm actually. He's surprised a great I'm,
1: player in the 1830s.
0: Oh, you, really? <laughs> look at that. Look at that. You know your stuff. I feel over like here. if you
1: went on Baseball Reference, <laughs> you could find someone who's nicknamed Henry Hops.
0: I'm sure you could. And uh, if I was drinking, I did select the Hazy for You, which is a Imperial India uh, Pale Ale an IPA, uh, with citra and simcone hops, which looks delicious. I will try it when I actually have a voice that lasts. Oh, Drew Drew uh, concurs behind the scenes. He gave me the little cheers. That's what he's on tonight. So if you want, head on over to mckellernyc.com. Click the little button on the top that says Delivery. Scroll down, see all the different options that McKellar has to offer. You may notice that the... Seven-Line Army Beer. United We Cheers is sold out, but they should have more of that pretty soon. Everything else that's... you can have it ready for the home opener? No, Let's go here. unfortunately Let's go. not. We sold uh. so much of it that there's none left. So uh, use the promo code T7L20 for 20% off your delivery on anything that McKellar has up on their website. They do deliver for the time being to the five boroughs and... Oops. I'm sorry about that. They do deliver to the five boroughs and they hope to extend the delivery service to uh, Nassau and Suffolk County pretty soon. But yeah, the United Beat Cheers, we were just talking about this before we went live. The first batch, we had that party, mm-hmm. and we put a gin- ginormous dent in what the uh, the brewery had available, and when they put it up as the uh, Beer Here service, which is on McKeller's website, they blew through the rest of it. So the the first batch is gone, the second batch is brewing right now, and the good news is if you're watching this and you happen to um, hit any local bars, we have selected, I think it's... a. Dozen bars now that will be carrying the beer pretty soon. So United We Cheers will be available at the brewery and uh, on the beer here service on their website and also some local bars. So stay tuned for that as soon as we uh, can announce the details. But I'm really excited about that.
1: Good deal. Just yeah. in time for
0: opening day. Fire it up, baby. Absolutely. Fire it up. Let's talk to. Let's talk to Sarah in Jackson, New Jersey. What's up, Sarah? Hi. How are you?
2: Good. How are you?
0: Are you excited for opening day?
2: Oh, of course, super excited. I'm sitting here in Jersey, can't wait for can't wait for opening day. I feel like I've been waiting forever.
1: <laughs> it has been forever. It started <laughs> yes. in June last year. You know. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah I know. I know. Um, I just have a question, Tacoma. Uh, I just saw him tweet that Pete Alonso will actually get the start tomorrow. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to get your take on him versus Scherzer to open his. Uh, major league
1: career. Yeah, it's a tough matchup, right? I mean, this is about as tough as it's going to be for to see Alonso. the home run he hit
0: last time he was down there? The yes, last game well, of the Futures game. I was going to
1: mention that. Yeah, in the Futures game. And this is what I'll say for Alonzo. The Futures game, what he did in spring training this year, it seems when he really needs to come up and have a big moment, have a big game, he's been able to do that. And he played his way onto this roster on opening day. He had to earn it with a big spring training, and he did that. So I wouldn't be surprised by anything Alonzo does tomorrow. Uh, he could go over three and strike out three times, and it doesn't mean he's a bust. And It's pretty tough against Max Scherzer, but he's had a, a penchant for coming up big in the big moments. You know, tomorrow's as big as it gets for him, yeah, right? Yeah. His major league debut. Yeah.
0: I mean, even though I'm not heading down there, I've been checking the weather reports. It looks like it's going to be 56 and sunny for first pitch. I know Jackson Jersey is not too far away from D.C. You going to head down there or no? Nope.
2: No? No, not. I won't be there. Uh, actually, I have a teenage sister who plays lacrosse, so I have to stay here to support her, but <laughs> I'll be definitely watching. That's
0: uh, a very nice TV. sister. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sarah. I, know, I
2: told I told her I can't miss the game, though, so I'll be there a little late. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't go into extras, huh?
2: Yeah. lacrosse. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> they
1: have priorities. So that's good. All right, exactly. Sarah. Exactly. Enjoy uh, it all, Sarah.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Have a good one, Sarah.
2: You too. Bye.
1: That's a
0: good day. Speaking of games going late, we talked about this when I picked you up from the train just now. Mm-hmm. How about who makes the scheduling? Is it is it the the teams? Is <laughs> no. it the league? It's the league. Are you sure? Yes. So the Marlins have no say in that game next Wednesday, being a six o'clock. Well, at night?
1: they might have some timing on the uh, some say on the timing of things, but it's mostly the league that does these things. And and this is something that you know they were trying to avoid a couple of years ago when they finished the CBA, playing these night games and then following it up with a day game, especially on the road. But as I'm sure you're about to point out, yeah. the Mets are going to play on Wednesday night. It's a six o'clock starts. So they get it out. Oh
0: wow, big deal.
1: <laughs> they're gonna play six o'clock in Miami. So you figure that game ends nine o'clock. Shower up, bus, go to the airport. Slide to, to the New press. York. Yeah, yeah. When are you getting in? One, two o'clock in the morning. That's if everything goes smoothly. And,
0: and these guys are heading to the field at what eight nine in the morning.
1: They're gonna have to turn around and play at one o'clock the next day. Understand? They have the best traveling circumstances you could possibly have. The charter jets, the a seat look at, low look at back, night. food, whatever it might be. But it, it's certainly not ideal, <clears> especially <throat> before a big day like the home opener. At the very least, I mean, DeGrom hopefully won't ad- be there. adrenaline I mean, gets it through and they get Friday off. But who would be the home opener starter,
0: actually, if I think about it? The home
1: opener would be game six?
0: yeah, uh, Seven. They're playing three, three, three.
1: Well, they have a day off. Do they have a day off in Washington? Yeah, I, I don't but they're
0: play, they're playing Thursday tomorrow. Uh-huh. They're playing Friday. Uh, they're playing Saturday and Sunday. They got Friday off. Monday, okay. Tuesday, Wednesday. So it's game it's six seven. games.
1: So yeah. So you have five and one. to so be the third starter. So you're looking at Wheeler, uh, Wheeler or Syndergaard. Okay. Depending on who's so granted, where.
0: whoever is starting, they won't be in Miami the night before. They're going to fly home early. The starter usually, the the starter yeah. pitcher usually they might listens. be able to do that. Yeah stick around for that late flight back from Miami. But, but I think it's ridiculous. Too, you know,
1: Sindergaard pointed this out when he was complaining about the trip to Syracuse, is that, hey, why don't you let us go to New York? We can get our affairs in order, is yeah. how we put it. Yeah. And then, you know, go down to Washington and play. These guys aren't going to be in New York at all until the night of the home opener, basically. Yeah. You know, the the, the the night before the home opener. So, like, how, I don't understand how guys do this, but how do you set anything up? If you have a wife, uh, she could set up an apartment, something like that. I'm sure the team is helpful. Yeah, yeah. But you spend a month and a half in spring training. Uh, How do you you have a living place? Like, you can't be storing milk in the fridge to make cereal in the morning, that's (laughs) for sure. And, yeah, they feed them at the ballpark. There's things you could do. But it's just – it it seems so rushed and wild. What did you think about the Syracuse
0: trip? We know why they did it. But did did they have to have that game in Sarasota on Monday? Probably not. They could have went a day early.
1: I would say the players probably understood – Why they're going to
0: Syracuse and
1: why that's a part of it.
2: Yes.
0: And Noah's running around with the flag yesterday. Yeah. And
1: that was because he's talked about this on social media when somebody called him out for his comments, said, Hey, I'm from Syracuse. You know, I I don't particularly care for how you're talking about this. Did it in a nice way. And Syndergaard explained, Look, it's nothing against Syracuse. It's just, you know, everything that we hear about keeping your body in top flight condition to be able to compete and play six months and not get hurt involves right getting your rest, yeah, eating yeah, correctly, yeah. all these things. And this is something that's going to put a crimp in that right before the season starts. So uh, I understand. I, I think the Sarasota trip combined with Syracuse is what irritated these guys. And if they had just done, let's say it was a home game of Port St. Lucie, and then they shipped up to Syracuse, there wouldn't have been as much whining about it. I mean, I was
0: looking I was following on social media yesterday and it seemed like the fans that went had a good had a good time. They saw a lot of smiling faces. Nimmo obviously went the extra mile as he always does. I think yeah. he walked up to a, a reporter, I can't remember who caught it, but he walked up to a group of fans and says anyone want a photo or an autograph? Like yeah. he went over and, and yeah, Laura Albany's of Newsday was, was awesome the, the awesome. Nemo
1: beat yesterday. He's unbelievable. And look it's great. You know, the to own the team in Syracuse now. Yep. So they're trying to promote the fact that it's now a Mets team And the best way to do that is to bring the Mets. And it's one-day workout, and then you go back into the the normal flow of things. I I don't think it's totally unreasonable, but I I do think the combination – of the timing of when they're going there after the long day of Sarasota, <laughs> they get stuck on the tarmac yeah, for three yeah, hours. Yeah. Then
0: we saw the the Syndergaard Q and A.
1: Yeah, I, I think that all combined, and also you know remember Syndergaard in the same interview was cantankerous about the Jacob DeGrom situation right, right, and right. wanted to see his teammate get paid, and I think that that all played into it. There was frustration building in the clubhouse, and I'm sure it wasn't just Syndergaard, building in the clubhouse about all of these little things, right? As we all know, these things build up over time, and he let it out. He vented. Good. But then the next day, DeGrom signing his contract. (laughs) Syndergaard's running around with the Syracuse flag, playing in the crowd.
0: You know he's only running with that because I an S for Syndergaard on there, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is. But Alonso's in the starting lineup on opening day, and again, all of this crap, Is now behind them, right, 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 and they can focus on the season beginning, and that's it. There's no other storyline at the moment flowing around this team. And when was the last time you were really able to say that about the New York Mets? It's
0: unbelievable. Let's hit the phones because we have. We always love to hear from our Mets fans on the other side of the pond. What's up, Mark in England? How you doing? Hello.
2: Yeah. Good evening or good afternoon or. Whatever it is, where you are, yeah, I'm. Um, I'm good. I'm looking forward to uh, opening day. I'm a bit like a kid on Christmas Eve. Really, seems a, a long time since we last had Mets baseball. Um, I'll be watching tomorrow on the old uh, MLB TV. Now
1: what time is first pitch in England?
2: Uh, first pitch in England will be ten past five tomorrow. So I'll finish work at four o'clock jump on the train, just get back in time. I Yeah, that's perfect.
1: Yeah, you can't beat that.
2: Yeah, it's good tomorrow, to be fair, most of the time. In a weird way, spring training actually works better for us because all the games are in the day, sure. which means they're all about 6 o'clock UK time, whereas when they revert to night baseball, they don't start till 10 past midnight. So I watch the uh, the weekend games and and the getaway games in the week are obviously... Tea time. I, I think I'm quite happy with the the moves we've made. I'm a bit reticent about the five-year contract for De Grom only because generally, whenever we've made these type of moves, I was looking on the post today, and the other four haven't really. They've towards the end, particularly picture thirty-five, I'm a bit worried that he might have. Might be injured towards the end. But
1: if you wait, then DeGrom becomes a free agent in two years, and let's say those are good seasons. Now you're given a five year contract when he's 32 through 37. So the timing was right to do this, and I think DeGrom was willing to do it. It's less than the Chris Sale contract. He signed for five years, 150 with the Red Sox, and Sale was throwing like 90 miles an hour at the end of last year, whereas DeGrom was pitching at a Cy Young level. I think the money and the years and all of it, uh, the timing. I think it makes perfect sense. It's a home run for both sides, in my book.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Degrom. Don't get me wrong, sure. but I just think, I mean, I know Wheeler's up for free agency soon as well, isn't he? He's a younger pitcher, so more money for, you know, they're not going to have the money. We know the Mets' budget, obviously. Now I don't think he's going to get the sort of deal that will keep him. Um, And me, personally, is a younger pitcher. And therefore, if someone's going to get five years, particularly the way he was pitching towards the end, maybe they should have lengthened the contract. Are you talking about Wheeler? Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. So giving the money to Wheeler instead of Syndergaard. I think Wheeler is just too much of an injury risk. And that is what has unfortunately been his situation he pitched great last year but DeGrom you don't have nearly the red flags that you would for Zach Wheeler and Wheeler too he's one year away from free agency might as well play it out see how this season goes and then you, you play it out with him but if if I'm making the list of keepers for the Mets DeGrom is at the top I want to make sure they keep Conforto long term and then I'm interested in Cindergard, depending on how he plays out. If he could prove he could really be healthy for a full season, that's my short list. And if Wheeler ends up being the guy that you can't hold on to, I'm I'm more I understand that more than losing any of those
0: other guys.
2: So, Mark, let me ask you a oh, question. Yeah, yeah, I mean we need we need uh, comfort. I was I was listening earlier, obviously, and I heard the proposed starter for home opener because I'll be over. I'm flying over next Wednesday, oh, awesome. and I will go back after the game on Sunday afternoon. Nice, cause you can get you can get night flights to England. So when I go to a Sunday game, awesome. I leave. I just go straight to JFK after the game. So what? What would? What's the projected? Rotation for that
0: series. Oh, I don't even know yet. I think we'll we'll have to wait and I see. Mean, there, yes. there could be a rainout. I don't know. Who yeah. knows? But let me ask you, Mark. Before we let you go, um, is there a lot of buzz out there in London for the London series? Ah, um, oh, Yankees and League Red Sox. More,
2: more so than I thought,
0: really. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, that's, that's that was my question because I want to know if, if it's if it, there is some buzz. Hopefully, the Mets get out there in 2020. I just didn't know if people really tend to care about that sort of thing over there.
2: Oh, uh, the the games people were taking half a day off work to ensure they got on the website wow. to get the tickets. Well, the tickets are very expensive. And these are tickets, are like, behind-home plates. I would say they're 500 bucks. And I was thinking, no way, people are paying that. Both games are sold out.
1: Wow. And uh, wow, wow. You know, who knows, the Mets might go out there next year. That's uh, one of the rumors that's out there. But uh, appreciate the call, Mark, and enjoy opening day, and maybe we'll see you next week.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been to a couple of outings. Maybe I'm going to be in KC. I met Darren in Seattle and Toronto, and I went to Boston as well. So I've done some outings, and uh, KC's on the agenda.
0: All right, Mark. We'll see you soon. Barbecue time. Get ready. I guess there's a little bit of a lag here on the live stream, which I, I don't know why that is, but uh, hopefully it speeds up for you guys in a little bit. So I forgot to say this in the beginning. Well, I did say we are giving away the, the books tonight signed by Ron Darling, but if you share the show right now, if you're watching on Periscope slash Twitter or if you're on Facebook, uh, just click the little share button and tell your friends you're watching Orange and the Blue Thing. You will You will be put in the running to win a copy at the end of the program. And if you don't win, you can always just go buy one because uh, the book is awesome. So, um, what else is going on, Mr. Pete? What else is
1: going on, <laughs> boy? What is not going on? So you know, the Mets are a good
0: week. We've got opening
1: day tomorrow. They're playing the Nationals. And, you know, again, something that I think is going to be interesting this year is it's not just these games against the Nationals that are really meaningful. It's going to be the games against the Braves, the games against the Phillies. You have almost half your schedule. There's going to be these grudge division matches. And you look at the projections for the season. Yeah, the Mets might be projected third in a lot of spots, but only a handful of games behind uh, Washington and Philadelphia so you have four teams clumped together fighting for this division, and it's unique around baseball. There's so many teams around baseball. They're tanking the season. They're looking years ahead. That's not the case in the NL East except with the Marlins. You have four teams that are going for it. So the way that that sets up makes it difficult, obviously, but I, I think it's going to make this season a lot of fun, and you won't have those gaps in the schedule where it's like, all right, they're playing a bunch of whatever teams, and I don't have any reason to really like get up and get to that you know level 7 area of fandom where you're screaming at the tv i think you have more opportunities for that this year
0: do you have plans for tomorrow are you gonna watch the game at home or what do you got going on
1: yeah so uh so my wife and i have a a doctor's appointment as it turns out oh yeah uh, a couple weeks going to the pregnancy uh so uh yeah we're doing a little thing tomorrow in the morning and then hopefully be able to get home and take care of her and stuff and it'll probably be (laughs) pretty chill uh opening day as far as i'm concerned but hopefully you know a week
0: later for whatever. the home opener we when they it up start a little on the bit. road i always feel like it's a little bit less juice you know or less wind in ourselves when they when they start on the road but.
1: well i kind of like it because then you get two opening days you get the baseball's back moment right yeah and then they actually come in and if you're able to go to the game that's a whole other like holiday of sorts maybe you play hooky from work or school or whatever it might be and you get out to the park I don't mind it when they start on the road.
0: I can't remember the last time I missed an opening day, to be honest, like to be in the stadium. Because when they start in D.C., I go. Mm-hmm. I can't go tomorrow. But I think maybe 14. Or I don't know if they even started home at 14. But I don't know. can't remember the last yeah, time. Yeah, they were home at 14. So maybe against Washington. Maybe 13. I don't know. It it's been a Andrew long time. Andrew Brown
1: three-run homer. Well, that was the good part of the day.
0: You guys that have the sponge brains, they, they always <laughs> surprise me. Uh, so let's get to the Ron Darling segment, a uh, little portion of the show. Again, 108 <laughs> stitches. Pick it up. Uh, wherever books are sold, here is my chat with Ron Darling. From Yale to Texas, Shea Stadium to City, and everywhere in between, this New York Times bestselling author about to release his third book, 108 Stitches, has seen a lot during his life in baseball, both on and off the field a 1986 World Series champion with our beloved New York Mets, to now over a decade entertaining us in the broadcast booth alongside Gary and Keith. It's Mr. Ron Darling. How's it going, Ron? It's going great. I was just
3: explaining to you, you said you had a little intro, and I said, I kind of recognize that person that you talk about, but it seems a little foreign to me because it's been such a long life in the game.
0: Yeah. Well, I love the book. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. But your, your life in the game spans decades and there's so many great stories in the book that we'll get to later that I love the correlation between your relationships with players and your life watching the game as a fan now being an analyst and you were a professional baseball player but the connection between everyone that you've came across in your life of baseball and everyone's kind of connected in some aspect.
3: You know what's strange for almost every ball player uh, maybe not for Sandy Koufax um, but for almost every ball player, it ends the same way, poorly. Uh, you end up not being very good at your job anymore, and, uh, and you kind of put out the pasture. And I think everyone that I've ever met, for four or five years, you just don't want anything to do with baseball. You're out um, because, I don't know, I'm probably stealing, I think I'm stealing this from, from a songwriter, but you get kind of betrayed by the calendar. Yeah. And, um, and that's it, and it's done, and what do you do now? And uh, so you stay away from the game. And then I was fortunate enough to come back to the game now as an announcer and it's revitalized me because I forgot how much I love this game. I loved it since I was five years old. And um, so it's it's fun. Listen, I played almost 10 seasons with the Mets. This is my 14th year with SNY. So I'm getting close to 25 years um, that the orange and blue ha- has, uh, has picked up the tab. So I'm pretty lucky.
0: So did you think as a player when you were nearing the end of your career that the broadcast path was going to be the next step for you? Did you always have aspirations for this? You know,
3: it's interesting. I, I'm on camera with Tim McCarver, who asked me the same question. I don't know, but 88 or 89. And I said, absolutely not. There's no way I'll be on TV. But, you know, what was funny is that when I did not pitch, they used to have a headset down at the end of the bench uh, at Shea Stadium. And I would always put it on to listen to the broadcasts of Tim and Ralph because I found it just fascinating. And uh, so maybe by osmosis, uh, Tim McCarver and Ralph Kiner got me in this job because I found it fascinating what they were talking about and it wasn't always what was going on in the game. So, um, I guess I brought a little bit of that to whatever we do.
0: Speaking of the end of the dugout, I think that's where you were sitting when Michael Sergio, the Mm -hmm. shade jumper, came and gave you a fist bump after he parachuted into shade, right? I mean, uh, we live in such a different world now,
3: right? So, uh, you know, certainly that would be such a cause for alarm. But it was a little more innocent then. And for a Mets fan like Michael to decide he was going to do this, to tell his family to watch TV. And for him to time it in such a way, um, I, I think, you know, given the times, it was one of the greatest things I, I've ever seen happen. Forget about the flybys or the eagles or all that kind of stuff, uh, or falconry, uh, what Michael Sergio uh, did on that night. Um, well, Forever. Be no, I mean, I. There's no reason for me to have Michael Sergio in my brain. It'll be there forever.
0: Right. Well, I was unbelievable. I, I, I didn't really get to witness it. I was five and eighty-six, so I haven't been uh, able to uh, really have that World Series uh, like feeling. Madden- besides, yeah. you know, 2015. Unfortunately, they didn't. They didn't get it done. But uh, Sergio, actually, I, I've had some contact with him since I started the seven line. And I think that he actually has some behind the scenes footage. So we might actually see something eventually come out. I think he's past Like the, what is it? The statute of limitations of getting in trouble again. But I think there is some like <laughs> behind the scenes footage that we might actually see creep out there. I was, sure. I was
3: just thinking a uh, boy, if he had a GoPro.
0: Yeah. Right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, you're back home. Um, spring training does it does it always feel as long as it seems uh, you're, you know, you get a couple of days off now before the season kicks off? you know I, I love it. Um, uh, the broadcast you
3: know they're inversely related to a game. you know when you watch a game, it kind of builds momentum until the end you know when it's the uh, the denouement right but for uh, spring training games it's just the opposite. Like all the action, especially early, happens in the first three innings. All the players leave and all the players that you don't know come into the game. So as far as doing a game, it's it's difficult. Um, but I, I like March in Port St. Lucie because my life is spent at airports and it's kind of a weird whirlwind. So in Port St. Lucie, people ask me all the time, what did you do yesterday? Nothing. Yeah, right, what right. did you do the day before? Nothing. What are you going to do tomorrow? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so um, I, I like that calm before kind of the storm of the
0: season. Yeah. I liked the other day. Um, there was a, a shot on SNY. It was showing the beach. And I said something on Twitter. You know, like the beach isn't really necessarily close to here. So if you're watching the broadcast, you might have this idea that spring training and the beach are connected. But they're not really that close. And I think Gary Apple said something to Keith about, sorry, Yeah. Uh, Gary Apple said something to Keith Um who wouldn't want to be down here at spring training? And Keith, there was a little bit of delay, and Keith goes, You're asking me? I can give you a million reasons why I wouldn't want to be here. I know.
3: And, and I had said, I think on the broadcast before, um, I, I don't know if Wayne Randazzle was doing the game or Gary Apple. And Gary or Wayne had asked me, I think it was me, Wayne, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the same kind of question and said, so, What do you think of the beach here? Well, I said, false advertising. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was, that yeah. was. So, um, um those things tend to get us in trouble, so I should really
0: uh, stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a lot of lot of action this offseason. Brody came in, and um, the Mets were very active. At the end of the season last year, when we didn't know who the gm was going to be there was some back pages that said you may have wanted to throw your hat in the ring um was that a far-fetched um you know idea or did you actually have aspirations of maybe becoming or trying out i think i think it was a, a pretty far-fetched idea how it, it came about
3: as i was asked as i was preparing when i'm preparing for the turner broadcast uh in the postseason I always meet with a half dozen reporters, uh, usually local reporters, that we sit around and just uh, uh, shoot the breeze about what I think about going into the postseason. And the question was, if you were asked to be a general manager, would you ever think about it? And I said, yeah, I would think about it. That's as simple as it was. So um, uh, it was interesting, and I I really have to thank a lot of the people who, who thought that that would be a good idea. Um, one I don't know if they can pay me enough to work uh, the 24 uh, a 7 kind of job but even more importantly um, you know I don't know if I have the talent to to do it Uh, simply you know to be able to combine uh, the uh, people skills which uh, I think I'm not great at uh, people skills with uh, analytics with uh, baseball knowledge with being able to uh, understand today's player, I think that's a a real, unique, amazing uh, uh, talent. And Mm -hmm. I think Brody has it in spades. Well, you're talking
0: about um, the the pay. I was actually surprised that a guy who's probably doing pretty all right with his commissions uh, as an agent would take what you would assume is a pay... Uh, cut for this gig. So were you surprised that that Brody landed the job um, or
3: took it? Well uh, Maybe I was surprised that he took it. I, I, I I'm not surprised that that he landed it because he's uh, you know You meet him for five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, where can I find a place for this guy? He's right. just amazing um, So I'm not surprised he landed it uh, as far as taking it. I think it's um, I think it's admirable that a guy that is so good at what he does Um, could play it safe and continue to do what he he does, but um, challenged himself to really go outside the box and and put something else on his resume. And, uh, you know, he's, um, you know, I don't know his entire story, but I'm assuming he's probably been great at whatever he's done since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's safe to assume he's going to be good at this too.
0: So we know that uh, the Mets just gave Jacob deGrom an extension. It actually happened as I was on my way here. Um, I was going to ask you what the biggest move of the offseason was. Do you think that's it?
3: Uh, no, I don't, I don't think that, that's it. I, I think that um, the biggest move did not happen in acquisitions or on the field. I think the biggest move is that Brody came in and he changed the conversation i think that in my opinion the conversation um started to get not started had been um increasingly negative i mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. and uh and i think that when brody came in he had a unique perspective on what others thought of the new york mets and the organization and and how it could button things up um, as far as uh, how other people view this, I think, great product, right? And so I think it was that was the biggest story for me uh, of the offseason. As far as Jacob's concerned, um, you know, I, I hate to, like, talk about contracts or openly root for players to get contracts. But I will say that, that in the back of my mind, I always wanted him to get paid because he's done nothing but been great from the second he's been here. He's been nothing but a great teammate. And then what he did last year was remarkable because I don't think there's any other pitcher in the game that would have taken that nonsense for six months and did not say a thing. He did not call out a teammate. He just put his nose to the grindstone and kept churning away. That was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen a ball player do because unlike other sports, it's every single day, and your accountability is on the line every single day. And um,
0: uh, what a job he did. Well, I put up a poll asking the fans if they were optimistic that this was going to get done before opening day, and there was thousands of votes, and it was like 75% no. And even a couple of days ago, um, Jacob came out, and he said he wasn't too optimistic either that this was going to happen. Do you think that having a guy like Syndergaard Talk to the press and say, you know, hopefully, what do you say? Something about uh, yeah. I wish the fuss was over. Does that? Pay him already. Yeah. Does that help? I mean, does do, do, as a team, they probably don't want one of their star players to come out and and back up their guy, but someone had to take the bullet, I guess. I was listening on sports talk radio on the way here, and they were saying, if there's a leader uh, on the team now, do you think it would be a Syndergaard? Like, who's who's the man?
3: Well, um, I mean, one Noah has a vested interest in uh, in <laughs> Jake getting paid. Um, I, I don't, I don't think the people that talk the loudest are always the ones that lead. Um, I think what Noah said, um, two, two, two things, one about paying Jacob, everyone felt that way in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. So I think he really, um, said something that kind of, you have to take notice if you're management and say, you know what, um, th- this guy is so dear to us that. We we would like at least you know, we would like him to get uh, his due, um, and then and then what he said about the Syracuse trip. Um, er, every ball player has always had negative feelings about whether it's going to Jackson, Mississippi, mm-hmm. or or Tidewater, or Norfolk, or whatever. Um, but it's it's something that always has to be done, and um, it's a way to promote the game. It's a way to promote your organization, I mean, it it's a way to promote your brand. But that being said, every ball player throughout the history of the game has always felt exactly what how how Noah said. But I think the the most important thing that got this done, and I, apparently it was done in Sarasota, mm-hmm. is when Jacob talked. Mm-hmm. And when he said he did not think it was gonna get done, I think those were the words that management heard. And um, because of some of the things, ancillary things that are happening, I think they took notice and, and tried to get it done. And I, like I said, I, I applaud uh, both sides this was a unique position because you can understand management side right yeah 30 years old uh, free agent of 32 control for two more years you can go on and on about the business of it but the tough part is that jacob's advocate is now his boss mm-hmm. so only months ago at the all-star game um, Jacob and and Brody at some point had to have a conversation on his worth. Right, right. And uh, so Jacob knew what his worth was. Jacob knew that Brody knew what his worth was. So I think that made it more and more difficult for for management to just stick to the business side of it when, um, when it was pretty obvious that everyone knew, both sides knew, uh, where it
0: was going to end up. Well, I read in the book, um, I'm pretty sure it was your last day of camp in 82 or 83, and Don Zimmer had called you into the office and he said, uh, you know, you're not making the team, but next month, if we need a uh, fifth starter, you're the guy. And by the time it took you to drive from there to your hotel room, you were traded to the New York Mets. Um, So that feeling that you had of you were ecstatic that you may have been uh, getting the call soon for a guy like Pete Alonso, who... A lot of us probably didn't think the Mets were going to add him to the opening day lineup. It looks like he's got. They haven't really come out and said it yet, yeah. but it looks like that's going to happen. Did are you surprised by that? Well, um, one, if it does
3: happen, um, uh, kudos to the Mets. I, I think that I hear it all the time. I've heard it since I was a ball player that we are going to go north with the twenty five best players. Right. Very rarely does that happen. Right, right, right. Um, uh, for a couple of reasons one uh, because of uh, contract type of issues but secondly sometimes the players you need against Washington might be different than the players you need for Miami mm-hmm. in the next series so um, the interchangeability of rosters from AAA, a AA to the majors is probably more prevalent than it's ever been um, so things are going to change no matter who goes north that being said um, it was a pleasure to watch Alonso. I didn't know he was as an accomplished hitter. And what I mean, will he struggle? Of course, he's going to have that time. Every young player does. But I I, I thought him more of a slugger, not really a guy who has a real idea at the plate. And there's uh, nothing further from the truth. You know, he looks more uh, like a finished Reese Hoskins kind of player uh, than he does uh, just a big behemoth that comes out and hits the ball over the fence. So, um, he proved a lot,
0: I think, uh, of not only his worth, uh, but his worth of the club. Well, the NL East looks like it's going to be stacked if you can just eliminate the Marlins there. But uh, the first 19 of 24 games are against the NL East. And I think having, like you said, bringing the best team north makes the most sense. But um, where do you see this team uh, matching up against the East when it comes down to it?
3: Well, I, I think they're, they're really going to be locking horns uh, all summer. Um, I would not be surprised at some point if 86 and 76 kind of wins this division 10 games over. Um, it'll probably uh, go down again to who beats up on the Marlins last year. I think the Braves were 14 and 5 against the Marlins last year. So that played a big part in them, uh, in them winning the NL East. You can make an argument, except for the Marlins, uh, for all four teams really mm-hmm. uh, to win the division. Um, they all have their strengths they all have their weaknesses you know if you look at at the Phillies you know they signed the biggest name in Bryce Harper they're starting pitching their bullpen we'll see Um, you know you look at the Braves uh, I hate to argue against a team that won last year they kind of like uh, uh, boxing they have the belt right Um, but will Donaldson stay healthy they have a lot of young pitching a lot of talent but again, young players, sophomore slumps for kind of all B's and Acuna Jr. Where, where where do they go? And for D.C., life after Harper. No one really knows what that's going to be like. Um, people talk about, well, you know, this guy can replace him. This guy, you know, you don't replace Bryce Harper, you know, uh, in a lineup. He just is a guy that... if. When I used to pitch, you identify him. He can't beat you. So you're thinking about him as the lineup turns over and over. That'll not be, be the case. And for the Mets, maybe the Achilles heel, as you look at them, exponentially, they've increased their roster. Exponentially, they've gotten better, and their are 25-man um, people on the field. And their depth, when a major league player goes down, they have a major league player to uh, replace them. That hasn't always been uh, the case, as you know, uh, as well as anyone. But they are a little older because they're in a win now kind of mode. So if you see Ramos and Lowry and Cano in the lineup 125, 130 times a year, you can have a good
0: summer. I hope so. I mean, you know, I feel like this offseason went kind of quick. I don't know if the lack of snow up here on the on the East Coast, but uh, last year we had a snow out. So hopefully I'm not, I'm not jinxing, it, jinxing it here. But let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the book. It's called 108 Stitches. And this is your third collaboration with your friend and co-author. Is it Paisner, Dan? Dan Dan Paisner. Dan Paisner. So it's called 108 Stitches, Loose Threads, Ripping Yarns, and the Darnest Characters from My Time in the Game. Tell us a little bit about the title. What's behind 108 Stitches? Well, one, I didn't know
3: if it was going to play that long, the title. But uh, 108 (laughs) Stitches, um, uh, for people out there that uh, love uh, the spear, um, is uh, there's 108 Stitches in a baseball so um when i'm on the road i spend a lot of time alone uh part of the things i love to do when i'm alone is just write down things that either i'll use in the broadcast or or now in books now the third book but um i wanted to see if i could with the stories i know tie each story to the next so it would be like 108 stitches of a ball that it completes the kind of circle um or pattern and um i think i think i was able to do it. it it's um about i don't know about 10 12 years ago i had some uh, uh friends that own a saloon down in tribeca i used to love to go have lunch there and and would see friends uh, you know once a week or whatever and they would always kid that i needed to write a saloon book a book that they could put uh behind the gin or behind the vodka and scotch that uh, if you're there alone, you could just open it up to any page and you'd get a story. Yeah. So this is my saloon book, uh, 108 Stitches. It's an easy read, it's fun, and uh, it was a chance for me to get, uh, not only to get all the stories that I've kind of um, been through out, because I wanted them on a written page, but also to pay homage uh, to a lot of the people that I played with that uh, kind of you know, made me who I am.
0: Well, I love it. I'm more than halfway through. And, and like you said, you can pretty much open it anywhere. A lot of the stories, uh, some of them do reference back to stories prior. Like you write, uh, you know, I wrote about this and this is how they're linked. But like you said, you can basically open it anywhere and, and just start from there. But I do want to bring up a story because we hear stories about, you know, David Wright throwing out Syndergaard's lunch or John Roush throwing water on Matt Harvey, whether that happened or not. But your first day. Yeah. At Shea Stadium, September 1st, 1983. There's a story in the book that struck me in a way where I was—I felt bad for you. I felt as I'm reading that, I'm, I'm thinking, "Man, this—that was—that's horrible." So, can you can you touch on that? What happened on your
3: first day at Shea Stadium? Well, it, you know, I was a strapping six-four, one ninety-five. You don't think a guy like that could get bullied? But uh, <laughs> no, I—I—I I, I was a September call-up in '83. Uh, Mets fans know that. And uh, one of the great honors of being a a ball player is to put on the uniform. You know, I mean, you think about it. uh, You dream about it. You can't wait for that time. So I, um, uh, you know, when I got to the ballpark, I had been called up. I I wasn't going to pitch till the 6th of September against the Phillies. And I got dressed early. I got on the bench. I was sitting there in the pristine, well, not so pristine. The uniform's now so much better than the uniforms we had in the day but uh, pristine Mets uniform, and I sat on the bench, and and, um, and one of the older players, as was the way in those days, uh, saw how eager I was, and uh, with a little uh, spittoon of, of chaw, uh, kind of sullied the uniform, and I was honestly devastated, but at the same point now people are are listening to this and saying you know how can that happen well it certainly wouldn't happen today right and 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 that was a rite of passage that everyone went through in those days and you had to either speak out against it and be ostracized from the entire clubhouse or kind of take it and prove that hey i can take it and uh i don't care um i chose the latter as almost every player uh, does and took my uh, took my coat, which in those days was kind of like a, a shiny material. I don't even know how to say like set, satin, the satin windbreaker type material, and kind of put it over my lap because it had stained uh, like uh, over my quad uh, to uh, to not uh, to not show the stain and kind of ruined uh, my moment. But um, that's you know, such
0: that's, a bummer. That's you know, just,
3: it, that, it's just it's just how things were kind of done in those days um and uh and i'm so happy that it doesn't
0: happen Anymore, um, you know, it's it's the silliest thing. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't think the your first day getting called up, you're trying to soak in the atmosphere, and, and you wrote, you're kind of doing everything the right way, standing out, of, standing out of people's way, and then you get spit on. Well, I certainly, uh, yeah, I certainly <laughs> soaked it in in a different way. So. <laughs> yeah, I just felt your pain there when I was reading the book. Um, so the '86 team was known for a lot of rowdy behavior and on-field brawls. Uh, something that also struck me in the book: Game four of the World Series in Boston. Uh, your wife at the time was mugged outside the stadium? Yeah, um, my, my first
3: wife. Um, That's uh, crazy. Tony O'Reilly, who was an Irish model. Um, we were gonna buy my parents a, a television. Now this is how long ago it was, folks. Um, in those days, uh, cash was king. Yeah. So um, she had a lot of cash on her. The next day, we are gonna go get a, a television for my parents and um and she was it was just taken out of her purse she wasn't mugged she was just you know they just lifted her wallet or whatever but the best part of that story is that kevin mitchell yeah who is the sweetest person if you ever met him sweetest person in the entire world unless he doesn't like you right you do not want to be on his bad side and uh and he went after literally went into the local park which is about i don't know 100 yards away from fenway park looking for the assailants or the people that had lifted um, my ex-wife's wallet and uh, for that I'm forever grateful Did he get it back? Uh, He never got it back Okay, Um, or at least he told me he never got it but um, um, that was a nice gesture by Kevin no one was hurt in it but I didn't find out because I pitched game four until I got back to the room and it tells you a lot about um, how as as a ball player you, you think that what you're doing is the most important thing. You know, how is how is the world not stopping? Right. It's game four of right, the World right, right. Series. And I remember getting back to the room because the, the, there were two buses, one bus for the players, which was an hour and a half after the game, one bus for wives and family that would leave 15 minutes after the game. And I got back to the hotel room in Boston, Sheridan in Boston, I still stay there. And, um, and uh, I walked into the room and she was crying, and 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 I said, "What happened?" And she told me the story, and uh, I thought that I was going to come in and really celebrate, you know, shutting out the Red Sox in Fenway Park, where I grew up, and um, and it's not that way. So um, it's uh, it, it was it, honestly it was interesting because after you know after we kind of, after I knew that she was not hurt mm-hmm. and and uh, and everything was all right, it was like you know. It should be this way. It's only 2-2. There's a lot more to go. So, right. uh, um, but uh, um, I re- one thing I remember about that game, um, other than uh, that, was as soon as the game was done, I went seven innings. I think Roger and Jesse cleaned up, which was the, the norm in those days. And um, uh, after the game was uh, done, I was interviewed, you know, by the f- 100 reporters or whatever. But my on-the-field TV... Uh, interviews, which I have to do all the time now from the booth, um, was uh, done by Marv Albert and Peter Gammons. So, um, I mean, just think of those two titans uh, as
0: sideline reporters in the day. Wow. So let's talk about that. You grew up in the area, and um, you were a Red Sox fan growing up. So what's that like when you... Now it's a job. You're playing for the team against uh, the team that you grew up cheering for. So what's that like? I mean, clearly you want to win. You're on the Mets. This is is your livelihood and that's your team. But what's it like to then play the sport that you grew up loving, but you're going against your childhood team?
3: Yeah, you, you know, I think it really ends once you become a professional. Because it's all about the team you're with. So um, originally drafted by Texas, traded to the Mets. So all I thought about was Texas and the Mets. So I really, after 1981, never even thought about the Red Sox. So that was five years in the making. But my friends didn't forget. So um, I was leaving 40, 50 tickets a game. And uh, I think other than my mother, and I mean this, I, I think my brothers and my father, uh, still wanted uh, the Red Sox to win. <laughs> they wanted me to pitch well, yeah. and I always thought after Game One, I lost one nothing, that it was almost the best of both worlds for everyone I knew from Massachusetts because I pitched well, uh, but the Red Sox won the game. Right. So um, uh, it, it it was strange. It was uh, you know throwing in the bullpen. Um, uh, it didn't feel right. Uh, I'd never been to Fenway Park or played there other than uh I mean going to the park once when I was a kid um, because we just didn't have the money to go to ball games and um um it it was very strange it was the only time before a game that I wasn't sure that I could handle all that was going on um only time ever um not there's a lot of times I did not perform well in games but not because I ever felt any kind of pressure or whatever that was the first time
0: that I had really felt the kind of pressure on the field. It's got to be tough, too, for a family. Like, let's say they're Darno's that have two sons that are in the league. Like, who do you, who do you root for when they're going up against each other? But uh, I love in the book where not I don't think that, you know, on the show, let's say, we're, we're, we're streaming on the Internet. If I drop an F-bomb or, or yeah. a curse or whatever, it doesn't add to the show. But um, I like that in the book. I would sure like to do that on the broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> I like in the book, it's written in a way where you are just sitting there talking with your buddy. And um, it's written in a way where I'm just kind of hearing you tell the story rather than it being something that I would Here on the broadcast. But what's it like to be so open and honest um, with the stories like we brought up about, you know, the the uniform um, where you're putting names to some of the stories where guys might get upset. You know, there's something to hear about, you know, Elster's exploits. And, you know, in today's climate, it might not have been as not accepted but he may have gotten a little trouble for being as braggadocious as he was so what's it like putting names to these stories and you know putting it out there for the world to see
3: you know I, i'm gonna be 58 this year um, i find it liberating uh just to to speak on um some of the things that are just seem so silly uh, uh now and, and don't make any sense um as far as repercussions from uh telling some stories that i find interesting Um, we live in a very sensitive time, you know, and and I think uh, um, you can see that whether you're a social media person or just uh, I can see that with my own children, um, how how more sensitive they are than um, I was allowed to be as a kid. Um, So, you know, listen, uh, if you read this entire book, you're going to love it and have fun with it. Um, Is it going to pass every single... Smell test from every single person in the world certainly not um, but uh, you know, that's part of Part of writing stuff down that uh, I'm a voracious reader. Maybe that's why I love to write things down and uh, You know, it's it, to me. It's it's liberating, you know, the game I did about game seven where I came up short um, That was cathartic, you know liberating to to talk about inability to come up big in a big moment and these are just um they're they're little uh, what's um uh, dirges right is that is that the from the from the song um, uh, they're just little ditties about uh, my time in the game and and if I did offend anyone um you know that's kind of how it goes. I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to. I didn't
0: mean to. So let's switch it up a little bit because I know that you're you're back on Twitter and you wrote a tweet recently and you said something. You know, to be completely honest, I'm back on here because I, you know, with the book coming out and then you're you're active and and that's just the way it goes. They really. asked me to when you're promoting. Yeah, yeah I mean yeah. you got to do what you got to do. That's yeah. the day that you know it's this. That's the era. <laughs> so uh, I did ask uh, Twitter if they want to ask you some questions Great. and I know that you saw a couple of them. Yeah. So the first one here is from at miss underscore met. What was your experience like acting in? Shallow
3: Hal. Uh, Well, it it was fantastic. Uh, And the story goes, is that the Fairley brothers, and and a lot of people now are knowing Peter Fairley because the Green Book and the Oscar or whatever, but Peter and Bobby Fairley that have uh, done so many uh, hilarious kind of movies, um, had come to me. And how they had come to me is that they were in Hawaii at some point. They had this idea of the Shallow Hal movie, uh, the two sides to people. And... uh, they had found selling coconuts and pineapples by the side of the road, this Hawaiian kid. And the way their mind works is that this kid has gotta be in our next movie. So they brought him in from Hawaii, he was in the movie, and they needed a kind of a counterpoint if you've seen the movie Shallow How. So they needed a counterpoint, and they told me the discussion they had was, hey Bobby, do you know anybody Hawaiian? Bobby said to Peter, I don't know anybody Hawaiian. Do you know anyone Hawaiian? <laughs> yeah. And uh, finally they came up with my name. So uh, I was called in from California, flew all night to, to Charlotte, North Carolina, stayed in my uh, trailer, uh, like a big time actor, mm. um, until 11.30 that night. So I was there from 6.30 in the morning to 11.30 that night, shot my scene. And th- one of the things I'll always remember uh, in my scene is is forgettable. We um, couldn't even come up with a Hawaiian accent, so they had to have the, uh, the, the young kid dub my voice. So tells you what kind of actor I am. Keith's the actor uh, in our trio. Um, but uh, um, one of the things I'll always, always remember, is probably why the Fairley Brothers have so many people that continue to do movies with them, is that when I was done my scene, because it was my first time ever being on, on screen, which it's not totally true, but it was really my first kind of scene in a movie, the entire uh, um, craft services, um, camera people, uh, makeup artists—they all came on set and gave me a standing o. And they do that for anyone's first time on on that's great uh, on camera. And that to me was the greatest part of the whole night.
0: Well, you're in a couple other uh, movies after that as well, I think.
3: Um, Mr. Three Thousand. Yeah, a I don't of- know if they're before or after. Again, all of them forgettable. But sure, um, IMDb. Yeah, I. Uh, um, but I, I do get the royalty checks that are, are amazing to go to the bank with. I think um, the last one I put in was, and I put them into my, my son's account, who's three years old. Um, I think the last one was a whopping $2.31. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with them because yeah. they're laughable, but, um, but certainly
0: uh, not laughable to everyone. So that's why I throw them in there. That's great. So uh, at Tyrone Hagen's. Uh, which was more impactful? When you knew you made it as a major leaguer, and when you knew it was over. Boy, um, I, I think when, when it's over
3: is more impactful because you don't know what the future is going to bring. When you have that first start, you know I came up uh, with much I don't know a plum or a claim that I was supposed to be one of their next line of of. You know, the, certainly not in the talent of Syndergaard and Grom and other. But I was considered like that. You know, this next pitcher that was going to help this pitching-rich organization. But um, you know, when you're uh, when you're released, as I was, and released on my birthday, um, it, it, it's a strange thing, and and for your fans, um, really quickly. So I, I was called into Tony La Russa's office. Tony was my manager. And he used to call me his nickname for me was Load, and the reason he called me the Load is because um, some players are just the load, you know, they're just a pain in the ass, you know, to be around. They need this, need that, but he called it in a funny way because I was the opposite of He never even had the heard me. I was never in the training room, none of that stuff. So he used to kiddingly call me the Load, like you would call a, a skinny person Chubb. Right right, 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 right. And um, so he called me in the office. He said, "Listen." we need this uh i'll always remember the name uh, there's two names i always remember julio vasquez who uh um took over my starting role with the mets um um rightfully so um and then doug johns was a pitcher took over my spot with the a's and so tony called me in and said hey listen load we have doug johns we need to see what he can do um but we want you to you know to stay um, i want you to be around Eck. Eck and i were very good friends and so maybe you know you, you can go on the dl or whatever i was hurting a little bit and i said well first tony it's my birthday today so you should say happy birthday yeah, first yeah 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 and he said do not tell me it's your birthday I, I said it is my 35th birthday and he felt really bad and then i said second i've never been on the disabled list so even though i broke my thumb in 87 um there was no disabled list in september so i'd never really uh, been on the disabled list so I said, I'm not going on the disabled list. And I said, that can take care of himself. Yeah. So I remember, and again, this is kind of like the stories you hear in here, not politically correct. But I remember stopping at a 7-Eleven and getting a tall boy Bud Light. And I had, I drank it while I was in the car. I drove home and I was so liberated because I was terrible. You know, um, when you're terrible, for athletes you always think your next starter your next at bat is going to turn you around that's just how our brains work um but it wasn't you know i was done and um so as i drove home and i was sipping on this bud light i got to my house and i I thought it was going to be unbelievable my two little boys were going to be there my ex-wife was going to be there and i was going to say daddy's home and let's just hang out and this is this is gonna be great, you know. I'm no more baseball, no more traveling, whatever. Yep. And I got home and uh, both boys were going on play dates and sleep dates. My ex-wife was going on a tennis weekend in Pebble Beach um, and so I was in the house alone. So it let me know that even though I thought my life was important, it wasn't. Um, the world was still moving uh, as, as, and I thought it would stop uh, because I had this momentous, uh,
0: impactful thing happen to me. Um, it was impactful to only me. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so at Doug 9494, 9494. Did you ever get over that loss to St. John's after no hitting them for 11 innings? You also struck out 16, which is incredible.
3: Yeah. You know, you know what it is? It's kind of funny is that I don't know what this says about me and my career, but losing that game, I think I'm more famous than if I would ever won the game. You know, that <laughs> right. that pitching 11 innings, no-hit ball, losing it in the 12th to a local team, St. John's, that I end up, you know, I mean, there's so many St. John's fans uh, yeah. that are Mets fans, right? Yeah. Um, I think I became more famous because of that. So um, I never even thought about it twice. Um, I know towards the end of my college career, and that's the last game I pitched, um, it was um, – it was a whirlwind because every time I pitched, there was 40 to 50 scouts. Um, and it, it, was, it was becoming uh, overbearing. Like, I just couldn't take it uh, anymore because every start was, this has got to be great. you got to be great today. you got to be great. And, and it's hard to be that all the time. So um, I ended my college career with the greatest game I ever pitched, um, whether it was as a little leaguer, although I didn't pitch, as a collegiate, or even as a pro. It was the, the best game I ever pitched, and I'm known for losing it. Um, so, it was uh, against Viola? Against Viola. I always tell Frank, because we became friends after that, that uh, I, I, I got him a second-round pick. He was going to go in the fourth or fifth round. <laughs> I got him to the second round. But um, it was a, a it was a fantastic game, and one thing that I'll never forget, and it really says a lot about St. John's family, the school, and their athletes, is that after I gave up the hit to Steve Scaffa, uh, who I believe was, I want to say their second baseman, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but um, he was their pesky leadoff hitter. Um, the entire St. John's team came out of the dugout and gave me a standing O. I don't think that's ever happened in college for an opposing
0: player, but it shows a lot about their class. So you mentioned um, you know, being great on the mound or trying to be great on the mound, and uh, i Put something, I retweeted something recently. It was a GIF of uh, Dwight Gooden, and you replied something that you were happy you were able to witness that every day and, and watch him. I think you were charting his pitches, maybe. I was, yeah. Um, so you wrote in the book, too, where it's tough to watch Doc and then go out the next day. You, you're you're not Doc. You're you. So how hard is it as a, as a starting pitcher to follow a guy like a Doc or follow a guy like DeGrom and try to maybe change your own repertoire, uh to try to match what they're doing rather than just doing your own thing.
3: Yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's pitching envy. You know, that's really what it is. And uh, I think it was my immaturity as a pitcher, even though Dwight was 19 and I was 22, 23, his maturity as a pitcher was so uh, better than mine. And um, so I didn't really know what kind of pitcher I was. I had come to pitching late. Um, I always wanted to be the next Cal Ripken. Um, lack of talent uh, stop that from happening and um, so when I became a pitcher I really didn't know anything about mechanics fundamentals uh, how to get people out I had never thought about that I I hated pitchers I hated pitching Um, so you know to watch a 19 year old kid do it the way you're supposed to do it um, I know I caught myself many times saying okay you know the way to start him is i need to strike out 10 guys plus like he does it and i probably did that maybe a handful of games in my career uh until i matured and then realized that oh i'm not him i'm never going to be him but i'm I could be a really good me like i need to best do the best me and uh once that happened then everything took off and 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 i never forget either that Um, I was very fortunate, you know, I played in a time which is very rare in Mets history when the team was outstanding season after season after season. I never forget that That was a big
0: part of my success too. So you guys have such it seems like such a great relationship in the booth the three of you guys now over a decade I think you said what is it 16 years? It's funny that you say this it seems like that's funny that you said Well because you know you never know I mean you know you're on camera you're talking to to the guys for hours and hours a day and you mentioned something in the book about how um, when you're done with work like you know in the ninth inning Keith might already be packing up his briefcase (laughs) he wants to get the hell out of there but um, you know it, watching the way you guys gel with each other and I feel like every year gets a little bit better um, I watch a lot of baseball I listen to broadcasts, and I think that the Mets radio booth and the, and the baseball mm-hmm. booth is some of the best or the best in baseball um, and luckily we get to hear you luckily and unluckily when the Mets are out and we get to watch you yeah. in TBS I think that, that fans really love hearing a familiar voice but um, the relationship that you guys have with each other I feel like is something very
3: special it's um, probably the most special relationship other than with my three younger brothers that i ever, ever had in, in my life. And I'm talking about relationship with, with two other dudes, right? And, um, you know, when you look at it in a strange way, Keith and I have known each other for such a long time, but if you look at me and Gary and you take out the sports, Gary and I are a lot alike, you know, and kind of the ways we... Uh, what has happened in our life so um keith and i were close when we were players but the grind of being a player doesn't really allow you to have the i shouldn't say that some guys are good at having really close friendships and playing um i was never like that i think there was i had a real aloofness as a player um and that was just um i could only do my job if i was totally invested in my job i'm not invested in you or you or anyone else i need to be invested in me it's the only way i can make it work so there was an aloofness uh that i had as a player so keith and i never really got close because keith didn't have that aloofness and um but i think the reason we're close is as a broadcast team is that we had to lean on each other i didn't have any experience one year in washington keith had the most experience at tv but had never done that number of games and gary's coming from radio and radio and tv are really two uh, different kind of entities and um and and also a guy who was so good at radio that it might have worked against him you know what i mean like if he had been just a regular radio guy it might have been an easier transition but he's one of the you know best of all time uh behind the mic so there was a, a, a transition for him so i think what happened is that in the beginning we really needed to lean on each other i also uh, credit the 2006 team because they were so good and gave us so many great moments that it allowed us to gel as a, as a broadcast, and then I think um, you know if it doesn't sound too uh, too strange, I mean I think we really do have an affination and love for each other because of um, you know when when it gets kind of naked up there and you start to go down a road and you're not sure where it's going to end up, uh, they kind of direct you, and uh, if Gary's telling the story, we kind of are there for him in case. Um, he falls backwards or, or whatever. And um, I just think it's, uh, um, it's one of the most unique relationships I've ever had. Um, uh, I think when we're at our best, two, the, there's two kind, three kinds of broadcasts, right? It's a straightforward one. Uh, Johan Santana's no hitter. That's where we got to be on point. Make sure we capture everything um, that, that you have to capture in a moment like that. Uh, I think there's one when um, when it's a, a different kind of game or whatever and maybe there's not a lot of action happening so we break out into this kind of freeform jazz where whoever is playing the instrument the best that night kind of we let him roll um, We have that and then on those certain seasons and certain games where um, all is lost, I think we're like the Larry Sanders show. Like we're we are a got broad- yeah. the, the baseball cards. Yeah, like we're a <laughs> broadcast that's making fun of a real broadcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, we probably shouldn't do
0: that, but it's I don't know, it seems to work for us. <laughs> do you uh you and Keith ever bust Gary's chops that he's the only one in the booth that hasn't been on the cover of GQ?
3: Oh, we we never <laughs> we've never done that because I think for, for it's funny for Keith and and who knows? Gary, Gary's the best dressed of us three now when we first started uh gary and i think it was just because he came from radio and he just didn't want to buy into that tv thing of having a you know a nice suit and a nice tie on he's by far the best dressed he comes into the booth now we're like whoa where did you get that suit and tie um and 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 keith and i are like sloppily put it together right before uh before the camera goes on so he might end up on gq at some point (laughs) but um i i don't i you know for I think this must happen with actors and actresses uh, later in their career. I'm asked every single day to sign pictures of me when I was 25 years old. When you're 58 years old and being compared to your 25-year-old self, it kind of hurts your feelings, you know? So um, when you see your GQ covers, or I don't know if Keith feels this way, it's re- you're really proud, you're honored to be able to sign it, but that person looks like my 31-year-old son. It doesn't look like me. Someone in the comments actually asked if you still have the suit. Uh, Probably not, right? Oh, there's a great story about that suit. So when I got there, there were two suits, and the Mets had a representative who came with me. I won't uh, name him, um, but came with me and was really uh, trying to make sure everything was taken care of. And the photographer um i can't remember his name now i feel awful because he's one of the most amazing photographers of all time richard Avedon. richard Avedon was a photographer he, he's one of the greatest photographers of all time so we got in the room and as this mets representative was kind of trying to direct Avedon to what to do with me i think he got a little angry And there were two suits, and I think he was going to do like the Wall Street pinstripe suit, which really looked good, and I think it would look great on me, or this English tweed, which English tweed has nothing to do with my Hawaiian self, Hawaiian Chinese self. So he chose the English tweed, and I always think that I look frumpy and bad in that picture,
0: but uh, no, I do not have the suit. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it looked pretty sharp. So um, I want to take another one from the book. I don't want to give too much away because I think the book's fantastic, but something that was in the same chap, the same um, yeah chapter about the booth. It's a story from you and Keith after a game in Philadelphia in an elevator. Can you maybe end it with that one because that's a funny one. I was um, I was cracking up on the couch reading this thing. Yeah,
3: it's um uh, when you, when you read it, um, you'll 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 understand what it is. You know, I, we kiddingly say you know I'm Keith Hernandez and you're not. When you read the story, you'll understand that that is absolutely 100% true. So the story, uh, it started, I don't know if I started, uh, can't remember now if I started uh, this way, but Keith and I, we, we talked about before, we very rarely have a glass of wine after a game, whatever, or Gary. We do it maybe three, four times a year because of, uh, you know, we've been in the booth for four hours together or more. Um, but this one time, Keith and I said, you wanna have a glass of wine? Yes. Yeah. so we go in and this uh, young boy comes in and wants uh, an autograph and this is how it started. So Keith, who this young man, what are you doing in a bar? (laughs) Where are your parents? Bring your parents in, I wanna talk to them. So that's how it started. We had a a glass of wine or two and then we got in the elevator. Ding, the door opens and there's these two guys that I think are about my age now, maybe a little younger, uh, 50 years old-ish. And one of them has a Reyes jersey, one of them has a Wright jersey, so it's 06, 07, 08, whatever. And, um, and Keith gets on, and he looks at them, and he says, what is wrong with you two? Like, how old are you two? And you're wearing a jersey. I mean, that that is the, the strangest thing I've ever seen. I'm saving the language. Yeah. So, he does that. The guys are in the back of the elevator, Keith and I are in the front, and ding the door opens and it's keith's floor but not my floor keith gets out and i'm still standing with these two guys i have not said a word and i am appalled that it even happened this this incident and one guy turns to the other and i could hear him and he goes that was awesome (laughs) Um, so i i guess what what i take from that story is that keith is the only person he's such an original talent he's such an original person uh such an original man but he is the only person i've ever met in my life that mets fans can if he signs an autograph and is sweet and kind to them they love it and if he's not as
0: sweet and kind they might love it more (laughs) that's unbelievable so 108 stitches by ron darling get it anywhere books are sold all uh april 2nd Yes. Uh, order that online, basically anywhere. Ron, I'm really looking forward to the season. Hopefully, the Mets can get it done. And I thank you for your time. Darren, thank you for making the trep- trek up here. I really appreciate it.
3: Um, you guys do great stuff. You know what you're doing. And uh, and I know you serve, um, you know, there's a real democracy to what you do and, and, um, and all of the Mets fans that come en masse, whether it's at home or on the road. And uh, I know um, certainly you've heard from players. Um, that I know they really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Ron. Thank you. That was such a thrill. And uh, I apologize to the people watching live. I think there was a little bit of a lag there, but it is what it is. That's the nature of the beast when you have a live streaming show here on the Internet. But, Pete, um, I was reading the comments, and uh, thank you all that watched live for the feedback. Yeah, by the way, uh,
1: that was your first ever long-form interview. You'd never know it.
0: Thank you, Pete. I mean, you're, you're a seasoned vet. You're a pro. I just kind of just, just jumped right in. And to be honest, you know, I, I've had opportunities to do live, not live, but longer format interviews, and I didn't really have the confidence to do it. But I've met Ron on numerous occasions, and I felt if I was going to do it with anyone as a first, he'd be a good and guy to, tremendous. to have. Well, you've um, got
1: some great stories out of him. Great
0: stories. And he was just so welcoming to, to invite me into his home and and to sit down in, in, in his basement and just chat. Like we were saying, you actually mentioned it. I wasn't sure how much time I was going to get because when I was with Brody, we were like on the clock. I was constantly looking at my phone down in Port St. Lucie. I had ten minutes with him, and uh, you brought up a good point. He's going to invite you to your house. He's not going to keep you there for ten minutes.
1: Yeah, he's going to hang out a little bit and, and have some fun stories. And yes, Keith Hernandez plays by different roles than everybody else. I think uh, we've seen that. Uh, but uh, no, that was that was phenomenal from him. You know, pitching against his childhood team in '86, and you know, having those moments that you know, to some, lived up to it, and some starts did yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all those things were uh, were pretty cool. The end of his career, and you know, going home, and, and you even said that, 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 was, that was you know, uh, lots of time with the family, and then. Everybody's doing their own thing. I wasn't
0: sure how to answer what what to come back with. That I was like, I just kind of went to the next question. You know, I wasn't really prepared for him to to go as deep as he did on some of the answers. But I think it went pretty well. But uh, again, one hundred eight stitches. We're giving away two copies right now. Retweet right now if you're watching on Periscope uh, slash Twitter. Press the share button if you're watching on Facebook. You can pick up the book if you don't win tonight on April second, wherever books are sold.
1: And listen, you got the home opener on April fourth that next day, that Friday, the Mets aren't playing, so you got an open day, and Ron Darling's going to be making some trips. He's going to be in Manhattan at 1 o'clock at the Barnes & Noble at 5th Avenue and 46th Street. We'll sign your book, hang out with you there, and then it'll be on Long Island that night, 7 o'clock, Barnes & Noble in Coral Place, located at 91 Old Country Road. So, again, the Mets are off. You're going to be in prime Mets mood. They're going to win that Thursday. You're going to be all hyped up. And then you go to the Barnes & Nobles, again, in the city at 1 o'clock, on Long Island at 7 o'clock. Hang out with Ronnie and get yourself a a signed book, 108 stitches. I'm taking the train home tonight. I'll be reading it on the train. I'm looking forward to it. You've already been able to dig into it. We heard some of the good stories there. There was a a nice teaser. I'm excited for this train ride. Absolutely. It doesn't happen often. So we are
0: going to get to the (laughs) share contest in a second, but I do want to pull up something here because I put up a poll. It is prediction time, uh, Mr. McCarthy. Uh So we are going to talk about wins. And although everyone, you know, if, if you're super optimistic, you're probably gonna have a high number here. And uh, people think with their heart more. What is it? Their heart more than their gut, or their heart more than their their brain? But um, I think the heart and the gut are related, <laughs> even if they're different organs. If you had to put uh, a number right now on wins, what would you say? Eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. I think
1: this is a team that is so borderline to make the playoffs as a wild card team. They're going to need a break or two along the way. They are more than capable. They are capable of winning the division. They're capable of being extremely dangerous if they can stay healthy in the rotation and make it into the postseason. I do worry about the depth in the rotation and like we've seen in past years, this is a team that has a lot of wiggle room. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm kind of playing it I, I think a uh, a little in the middle, towards the higher side, but I think this is an 88 win team, and you hope that they can get into that wild card game, give themselves a shot with Jacob Degrom on the hill. I'll take my chances. I'm gonna with write that, that down.
0: 88. I think at QBC, I think I said 92, so I'm gonna stick with 92. And well you uh, add him up, that would be a hell of a year. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, come October, we'll we'll re- re- rewind this and we'll see actually what happened. But the uh, the poll that I put up this morning. It had four options 80 or less, 81 to 86, 87 to 92, or 93 or more. And 87 to 92, if you voted that way, you would be in the majority. That was 56% of the vote, 80 or less. I don't know who was voting on that, but that got 4%. So uh, I don't that's think that's an optimistic group. But I've read some of the comments. Did you see the, the one of the comments? Um, let's just read some of these here because, of course, there's always some people chirping in the comments here. What was the one?
1: We need a little chirp. Uh,
0: let's be realistic. What was the one I wrote? I don't know. If you feel like reading some trolling, go back and read the comments mm-hmm. on a lot of the things that we post. But yeah, so let's get to the share contest. Um, Mr. McCarthy, if you can, let me... Do you do you care that I call you Mr. Pete or Mr. McCarthy? Mr. Pete is kind of weird. <laughs> All right, I won't call you Mr. Pete then. All right, so... Uh, Papa Pete. Papa Pete, soon. Papa Pete, soon. Piss uh, Pete. Let me know when to stop here, Mr. Pete. All right, let's stop. Right. Let's do it early. <laughs> See, you just go right back to it. All right, so we got L to the J. It's uh, I bullied you. I'm sorry. That's it. At that's what happened. L J Jonathan three, <laughs> a real estate agent from New York City. He doesn't really need a free book then if he's probably getting New York City commissions here. Oh, I'm sure he could use a book. You win. All right. Sit by the fireplace. And then let's get to the Facebook one. Yeah. Lizzie actually is not here. Lizzie teaches Zumba on Wednesday night. So she did the beginning. Oh, she teaches the Zumba. Yeah, teaches oh, Zumba. Wow, that's awesome. So she did the beginning of the show and then she bounced. So we're not doing uh, what's in the box tonight, but I will tell you guys about something special in a second. So uh, what'd you say, uh, Papa Pete? Yeah. Sure. All right, Papa Pete, tell me when to stop here on the Facebook show. Petey share. Mac is usually the way it goes. All right, Petey Mac. <laughs> All right, stop. All right, we got Tiffany Berman. Tiffany Berman, I'll send you a direct congrats message. Congrats, Congrats to congrats Nicely to you. You, done. Both of you guys get you copies. Good timing. Of Ron's book. um We were going to show this early, earlier. I don't have it access to it behind the scenes here now, but you watch uh, Game of Thrones. I do. So the next three weeks, if you guys are Game of Thrones fans, the next three weeks we're giving away special Mets co-branded bobbleheads with Game of Thrones. I don't know who these people are. There's like some dragon on there. Uh, there's one with Mr. Met in a, like a throne. I guess it's like a thing. Is that Yeah,
1: it? well, it's Game of Thrones. Game of Thron- so but you I got to like, think that the
0: throne is a big deal, I get don't it. you, Darren? But is there one like on main here, Mr. throne, Meanin. Mr.
1: Pete? There is a main throne All right, so I guess that it's is what part Mr. of is Game of, a- of Thrones, and he is on that throne because... That's what the Mets do. They so next week,
0: throw. next week, tune in. That's what we're going to be giving opening away. opening day. So Pete, I want a final thought on the offseason. Can you can you grade Brody now? Oh, uh, the season starts tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I, I'd still I give Brody a B for all they've done. They've clearly gone into win now mode, which they had to make a decision one way or the other. That's the way they went. I don't think they fully completed it because they're not the favorite in the division right now. It's capable; they can win it. They have to win the time is now to win that's the way they have set up this franchise so it'll be easier to say in retrospect in september if they're there considering i'm sitting here saying they're an 88 win team that's going to struggle to make a wild card spot or be in the mix for a wild card spot i think they fell a little short of that which is why well, i'll give it a b but i think he did well with Alonso and Degrom here in the last week to give this team every opportunity possible to win and I am I am excited for opening day now. Again, there's not there's not any of that other stuff. There's no cloud yeah, yeah. hanging over this team now. It can just be about baseball. And stuff's gonna happen, folks. There's gonna be the first injury. There's gonna be the first uh, you know back page, whatever it is. But for now. It can just be about baseball, and that's a big plus and something that there haven't been a whole lot of days for this team in recent years where that's been the case.
0: So let's end it on that. If you're hitting the game tomorrow, have fun, cheer extra loud for me and everyone else that can't be down there. It's going to be a good day. Hopefully, Degrom notches the first W of the season. Let's get some homers off Scherzer. Let's do it.
1: Wilson Ramos making his Mets debut. Come on, let's have a little fun tomorrow. Robinson Cano in the Mets uniform. Spring training's nice, but. We all say, oh, in his Mets debut, he did this, the first spring training game of the year. Eh, it doesn't count for anything. It, tomorrow is the debut, the first time really seeing these guys and uh, be a be a lot of fun along the way. And and DeGrom, too. Every DeGrom start is a, is a win. Hopefully they could score, let's say, at least three runs tomorrow. I don't want to be greedy, but I feel like three runs, that, that would have been a win last year. I'm calling it. <laughs> Pete, Pete
0: Alonzo, two-run home run in the third inning. You heard it here first. All right, guys, see you next week. Next week, also, Wednesday night show, another – Opening day, pre-game show, the night before the home opener. So catch us next week. You got Keith
1: next week? Who you got lined up here?
0: Um, Yeah, Keith Hernandez. I don't know. We'll see something. I'll pull something out of a hat before next week. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for everything, and uh, we'll see you soon. Let's go Mets.
1: Be good, guys.